A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode is sponsored by a listener, Le'ilui Nishmas Le'a Be'la Bas Yehuda. And this is a reminder to be in touch about any type of sponsorships that you want. This is also the last day of the YU's Farm Sale, so make sure that you grab the opportunity if you haven't yet done so. Otherwise, you'll have to wait um, a long time for the next one. So, being that this coming week, later on in the week, is the yard site of a very special individual who's multifaceted, and through his story, it's really a a window into the life of and the uh, the uh, story of the Jewish people in the twentieth century. Of Rom Kalmanovich, one of the most uh, multifaceted individuals the scope of his activities is almost unmatched the sheer energy that he had and his endless activism is simple simply unbelievable so many parts of his story um the more famous ones are from later on in his life when he was involved with uh, Hatzalah activities rescue act work during the war and then rebuilding the Mir Yeshiva and his activities on the behalf of Sephardic Jewry in Morocco, Syria, and Egypt in the 1940s and 50s. But that's all um, in the later part of his life, and perhaps if there's a part two, we'll try to get to that. But I want to start with the earlier part of his life, which is no less unique and no less incredible. And just to give you an idea of who he was and what a personality he was, is I once had the privilege... Um, many years ago, of driving Rav Herschel Shechter, the Rashiva Wayur Ben Yitzchak and it was like a three-hour drive or so. It was in uh, Golan, and I had to drive back to Yerushalayim. And Rav Herschel Shechter likes speaking and learning with people. That's that's pretty much what he does. But he was stuck with me in the car, and there was no way I was doing that. Definitely not for three hours, uh, probably not for ten minutes either. So I'm trying to get stories out of him instead. And he was pretty accommodating, so he told me a few stories, a few good ones. And some of them I actually remember. 
One of them was about a story that he had with the Rav Ram Kalmanovich. When he was, when Rav Shechter was a young bacher in Urbania Sikolchanan, so, you know, the summer break was quite long there, and he was someone who learned all all the time, all through through the year. So during the summers, he used to went to go to other yeshivas. One year he went to Lakewood, one year he went here, one there. One year he was in the Mir in Brooklyn. That's where he went for the summer to learn with his Chavrusa. He got permission from Ravom Kamanovich to go there. And uh, he was a teenager at the time, I believe, if I remember the story correctly. And at the end of the summer, he went into Ravom Kamanovich to take leave to tell him, thank you for having us for the summer. We're going back to our yeshiva and in Manhattan, and and Ram Kamanovich says, so what did you guys learn over the summer? So they said, we learned uh, this and this amount of blat, of Gemara, which was a very high number, I don't remember the number, like 40, 50, or more, I don't know, a lot. So Ram Kamanovich is like, what do you mean? How, how is it possible to learn so fast, so much? It can't be that you really know it. So Rabbi Shechter, as a Young Bacher said to him, okay, so you could fahar us, you could test us on it. So Ram Kamenovich tested them on it. And they knew it, they knew it very well. So he was amazingly impressed. And he said, in my yeshiva, you can't get guys to learn so fast and to actually know it. It's, it's very impressed that you were able to do that. And he bemoaned that state of affairs. He said, you know, this is someone who was, Ram Kamenovich was the superstar of Slabatka when he was there. And he he knew he knew a lot. He was a huge Talmud Chacham, so he was impressed with their knowledge, and he was bemoaning the fact that his students in his yeshiva were not uh, were not were not learning that that quickly and able to have that comprehension. So he says, "So where are you guys going now?" He says, "We're going back to our yeshiva." He says, "You're going back to your yeshiva. Your yeshiva has the university has secular studies together with it. How could you go back to? Why don't you stay here? You're welcome to stay in, in the mirror in Brooklyn." So they said, no, we have to go back. We're you know, part of a shear there. We're part of the program there, whatever. We want to go back. So he said, these guys are young. And Ram Kamenovich, as is known in the pictures, you see him also, he was a tall and imposing individual. This, this conversation had taken place while he was sitting in his office. And he had a long white beard, and he was very tall and had a booming voice. He was a dynamic speaker, very charismatic speaker. He was able to sway many people with his speeches in different periods of his life, and he was a fundraiser, and so on. And here he's in this little office with two young teenage kids there. It was him and his friend. I forgot who his friend was. And Aram Kamenovich stands up all of a sudden to his full height, and he, he said it seemed like he was towering over them. It was the scariest thing ever. And he starts screaming in like a really loud voice, and he says, when I come up to Shemayim, I'm going to come up to heaven. And they're going to ask me, you saw guys going back to a place, to a yeshiva that had university, that had secular studies together in the yeshiva. What did you do to stop them? What am I going to answer them? I have to register my protest and tell you that it's the wrong thing and you should stay here. And he said they were, they were terrified. They were like, this is... The, he was so imposing and so passionate about what he said, but nonetheless, they were able to overcome it, and they were able to go back to Yeshiva University for the next year. But he said that just to give you an impression of who he was and anything that he believed in, and how passionate and how 
imposing what a presence he had, and that's the type of personality he was. So that's that's the Rav Ram Kamenovich. Now he starts off as a young bacher. He went to Aishishok, which was a famous place of scholars of people who learned in the base medrash in Aishishok, the famous town. The rabbi of the town at the time was a was a, an ama- a incredible rabbi named Rebbeisif Zundel Hutner, who was also a, a um, quite a personality himself and his family, the Hutner family, and he got close with the rabbi there. He used to learn with the rabbi, and um, from there he moved on to Slabatka. He became a a big Slabatka, um, close to the altar Slabatka, and. Um, he was also in Tells for a period of time, and interestingly enough, so one of the one of the fascinating stories of Ram Kamenovich in his early life was the story of how his shidduch came about, which I found out from a very interesting uh, letter that Ramnasen Kamenetsky wrote years ago that was posted on the Sfarim blog, and it tells this very um, fascinating story about uh, Ram Kamenovich's shidduch that. Um, he ended up marrying a girl from Rakov, who's the daughter of the Rakov rabbi, the rabbi of Rakov, a town. Uh, but he had, but he had considered he was, you know, deciding between two shaduchim that he was offered, and the other one was the daughter of um, of his own Rosh Hashiva in Slabatka, Rabbi Shematcha Epstein, um, who his his daughter was. Uh, was proposed to him as well. And in a f- weird a turn of events, in a weird accident, um, he some mess up with the mail, with he sent the wrong letter to the wrong girl, um, or the, the, the wrong letter to, to a different girl. And, and to the, you know, he was letting them know, whatever one he was letting know about uh, if he's going to continue with them or not. And some, some mess up with the mail, which... Happens till this very day, mess ups with the mail. And uh, and this Epstein girl found out that he was dating another girl, or at least he was considering dating in the other girl. And she said, forget it, I'm not interested in dating someone or marrying someone who's considering another girl. So Rabbi Ram Kamadavich ends up marrying the Rakov Rav's daughter. That's how he becomes, he becomes the rabbi in the town of Rakov. And he was actually known for many years as the Rakov Rav. Um, and this this other girl, this Epstein girl, the Shidduch, uh, didn't you know? She didn't end up marrying Ram Kamenovich, and what en- she ended up marrying was um, this daughter of Ramayshu Matcha Epstein, Menucha Epstein. She ends up marrying the daughter of the Alter Slabatka. So it ended up being an internal Slabatka Shidduch. She ended up marrying Ramayshu Finkel, who ironically had already been engaged. And he broke the engagement to marry this girl, this Reb Moshe Finkel. He was he was engaged to the daughter of Reb Yehuda Leib Hutner of all people. This is a real like uh, Litvish elite rabbinic story. Reb Yehuda Leib Hutner was the son of Reb Zundel Hutner, right? We mentioned that Reb Ram Kalinovich had been close with Reb Zundel Hutner in Eishashak. This Reb Zundel Hutner had a son who lived in Warsaw, who was a rabbi in Warsaw, and. Uh, and his daughter was engaged to Ramesha Finkel. And this daughter, um, after the shidduch is broken, so um, so this Ramesha Finkel marries instead the Epstein, who was supposed to get engaged to Ram Kamenovich, and 
I myself am confused at this point, so I'm, uh, ho you know, I hope you're still following it. And uh, the, this this uh, Hutner in Warsaw who uh, who had the shidduch broken, she ends up marrying of all people Rabbi who the cook. Interestingly enough, um, so so the um, nonetheless another another Hutner, this Rabbi Huda Leib Hutner's sister, who is a daughter of Rabbi Zundel Hutner, marries. Sorry, see, I got confused. Either way, one of the Hutners marries an Epstein, marries Ramayisha Matcha Epstein's sister, um, and uh, so it all stays in the family. They all end up marrying each other, and it's all good. Um, one of their children married Ramayir Chadash, so the Chadashes and the cooks are cousins now. Also, it's exciting. So, so the so, but Rom Kamenovich ends up being in in, in Rakov. And um, in the 1920s, he gets a call from Rabbi Lazy Yudel Finkel, the Rashiv of the Mir, the Mir, after it had returned from World War I, where it had been in, in Poltava. They come back to the Mir, and they're financially strapped. There's a court battle to get the building back, which had been taken over during World War I when the Mir had abandoned it. Rabbi Lazy Yudel Finkel is able to get the building back. They start to rebuild the yeshiva in 1924, Rabbi rejoins the yeshiva. So everything's going well. Enrollment is up, and it's a good yeshiva, but they have no money. And uh, in the 1920s, I think it was 1926, Rebbe realizes that he has to go to the United States to collect money for the yeshiva. And he's nervous about going himself. He's nervous about his abilities in fundraising and speaking to the crowds. And he turns to an old friend, Rome Kamenovich had been in Slabatka, and, and, and he was there during the during the heyday, the golden age of Slabatka, when Rebaran Cutler was there and Rebbe Kamenetsky was there, when um, all these greats of Slabatka, the pre World War One era, and and he um, is asked by Rebbe Finkel, who knew him from that time, um, if he would accompany him. So accompanied by the Rakovarov. He goes to America, and Rav Kalmanovich, who was an amazing speaker and a big activist uh, by this time, he is able to help the Mir Yeshiva fundraise. Now, Rav now appoints him as the Nasi, as the president of the Yeshiva, and he becomes the official fundraiser, and he makes quite a few trips to America during the interwar period on behalf of the Mir. But that's not the only thing he's doing. He's the rabbi in Rakov. He also, at this point, was involved in the Vad HaYeshivas together with Reb Chaim Gurjensky and the other um, big people in, in the organization of all the Lithuanian yeshivas during the interwar period. He was also involved in the Agudas Yisrael, and he even made it at a young age to the Mayetzes Gedoyle Hatayra of the Agudas Yisrael. He also, from World War I, he was the rabbi in Rakov in his 20s. He was already the rabbi there before World War I began, and he's during World War One. He's taking in refugees in the immediate post-war, in, in, in independent Poland, when there are Jews fleeing the Soviet Union first because of the civil war and then because of the religious repression of the early days of after the Bolshevik Revolution in the Soviet Union. They're coming into Poland, and Rakov was near the. Soviet-Polish border at the time. So he receives many Soviet Jews. He's, we could call him even pretty much one of the first activists on behalf of Soviet Jewry. Not only in the physical sense, he organized food for them and housing and, and places for them to go afterwards, but also in the spiritual sense. He was one of the first Kanoim who you know cried out and gave speeches about the 
the spiritual horrors of the Soviet Union and how they're preventing Jews from keeping uh, um, the Jewish religion in there, and we have to we have to raise an outcry. And he was someone who raised an outcry about many things throughout his life, and this is one of his first campaigns for Soviet Jewry. So he's in, he's helping refugees. He's a already a major activist on the scene and involved in all these organizations. And uh, and uh, at this point, he also gets involved with the Mir Yeshiva. Now, the deal was is that he would have the opportunity. Now, he's a fundraiser. He's the Nasi. He's the president of the Yeshiva. He also would have an opportunity to give Shiurim, to actually be a Rebbe in the Yeshiva. That didn't work out for, you know, unknown reasons. Um, he wasn't able to become the Rebbe in the Yeshiva. But as a compensation, a very interesting story in Ravon Kamalavich's life is that he becomes a Rebbe of a Mir, he becomes the Reish Kailal, he becomes the head of a Kailal for married um, young men in Otvatsk. You know, the idea of the Kailal was still a new concept at the time. It was, and the, you know, there were few and far in between. So, you know, to have a position like that wasn't, uh, wasn't to be taken for granted. And Otvatsk is a resort town on the outskirts of Warsaw. And he would go ahead and give shiurim there. Now, in 1929, Ram Kamenovich upgrades from Rakov to become the rabbi in Tiktin, which is already a major town near Bialystok in Poland, an important city. We go there on trips. We Very often we're in Tiktin. It has an old and gorgeous, beautiful shul, one of the oldest and one of the most beautiful um, uh, I've ever been to, definitely in, in Poland, in that part of Europe. And... Um, and it's a nice, quaint uh, town. It's, you know, again, it's the outskirts of Bialystok. It's not terribly far from Warsaw. And he becomes the Rav there, which he remains until the war. So he's not that far from Otvotsk. And he goes and gives Shiurim to this Kyle, which is kind of like a branch of the Mir in Otvotsk, which is interesting. Now, Chaim Eiser Grzynski was also involved in the Kyle, so I'm not sure if it was officially part of the Mir, if it was one of Chaim Eiser's many in Myriad, projects, but the mirror was involved at some level, and that was the compensation. Avraham Kamenovich later said that the years that he gave Shiurim in this Atvats Kail were the best years of his life, which is a huge statement because he enjoyed giving the Shiurim, he enjoyed being a Rebbe, he enjoyed teaching to his students, and this was the opportunity that he had with his mirror affiliation. Now, I'll just end off this part one. I've uh, a family member, my sister-in-law is a Kalmanovich, and one one of the uh, one of the family get-togethers, I asked her what's the best story that she has about her great grandfather uh, that they say over in the family, and it is actually related to his uh, his rescue years in the Vadhat Sala. Um, he was a very dramatic person, very like I described the story of Rishul Shechter, and she said that uh, when he was um, he was collecting. Uh, funds for the Varhat Salah during the war years, which hopefully we'll get to more in part two, um, if we'll get to that, was um, he was, he was, they, he, he went into a shul. He wanted to speak to the congregation about uh, the donating to the cause. And they didn't want to allow him to speak. They knew he was this rabbi with a beard and coming to collect money, and no one was interested in hearing him speak, another schnar. And he said, please allow me to speak. I'm going to be very short. Just a couple of words to say. And he got up and he he basically cried out, save them, or save them, help. Some like dramatic, uh, something along those lines. Help them, 
or we need your help, One, basically a one-liner, and he screamed it out, and then as soon as he finished that, those, those couple of words, he dropped dead in a faint. And this was, had a very, uh, uh, you know, big impact on the audience. And when they, you know, when he, he recovered, they made a nice appeal, and a lot of people donated money. And someone came over to him afterwards and said, how in the world did you pull off that fainting? How were you able to do that? And he said, when you need a faint, you know how to faint. You have to want to faint and you're able to do it. So he even had the willpower within him to be able to faint when he needed to. So he was someone uh, like that. So this was a little bit about Aram Kamenovich. Hopefully we'll get to more soon. This was Yudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, and trips to places of Jewish history. Subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.